paved with gold Lifted some stones Saw the skin and bones Of a city without a soul I stopped outside a church house Where the citizens like to sit They say they want the kingdom But they don't want God in it Yeah, I went with nothing Nothing but the thought of you I went wandering From the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets Biblical Christianity face-to-face, and I'm your host, Sean McCraney. I have the pleasure of being surrounded by some outstanding students from the Master's College, located in Santa Clarita, uh, California, just north of L.A. Uh, standing, they've done a number of things. These, uh, these kids are the top notch. And in fact, if you're watching and you're wondering what to uh, do with your life, Take heed of these guys. It's not that you know they're perfect or anything, but like for instance, it's Lauren's 21st birthday. Now, Lauren, are you going to go out tonight to the bars or anything ridiculous like that? No, sir. What are you going to do? Going to watch the show, and then we're going to go back to the Blue House and maybe have some worship time. Listen to that. <laughs> you know, and they, you know, they they laugh, and, and you might be like, "Oh, that's boring," but let me tell you something. These guys have life in them that you can't imagine. So it's really wonderful. In fact, we are so happy that it's her 21st birthday and she is celebrating it in this manner. We're going to sing to her right now. Already, a one, two, three. Happy, happy birthday, birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Excellent. <laughs> Thanks, you guys, from the Master's College. Heart of the Matter can be seen here, of course, on live television in Utah and Idaho, streaming video at www.hotm.tv, in our archives at the same website all over the web, especially at youtube.com, wherever you're watching from, we welcome you and uh, we hope you'll uh, have an experience where truth will be made known. Uh, get your calendars out, get ready to write. You ready? First, this coming Saturday, uh, March 19th, our spring open water baptisms. Usually we just do open water baptisms at Burning Heart, but we're gonna do them uh, in three locations because we've had people request in different locations to uh, be baptized. First, we're going to be in Logan at the Alpine Church, 9 a.m. sharp, Saturday morning. And then uh, we're going to be in Riverton at the Alpine Church at noon. And that, we'll start performing the baptisms there. Riverdale, Riverdale, Riverdale not Riverton. And then we're going to be at 3 p.m. in Salt Lake City at the Venture, Adventure Church which is right on the corner of uh, Liberty Park and 7th East. So bring a towel, bring a change of clothes, and a heartfelt desire to publicly acknowledge your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. These are uh, non-denominational baptisms. You should, you, I certainly hope you would, then locate a church, maybe the ones in which you're being baptized, and uh, start attending there. But uh, it's really just for you to uh, publicly uh, show your love and faith in Jesus Christ. And we really want to thank all the churches that have uh, Alpine and uh, the uh, Adventure Church for being willing to open up their doors and allow us to use uh, their facilities. Second, uh, the next day, Sunday the 20th, 
10 a.m. I'll be speaking and uh, preaching at Lakeside Community Church in Sunset, Utah. All are welcome. We hope you'll come out there and join with us. That's Sunday, March 20th, 10 a.m. at the Lakeside Community Church. Come out and see what they're doing out there, especially if you live in the Sundance, uh, Sundance, Sunset area. Uh, should be a great time as we'll be talking about uh, Mormonism uh, relative to Christianity, etc., etc., Show up, and uh, we look forward to meeting you then. Then, third uh, thing for your calendar, Saturday, uh, March 27th, 26th, Saturday, March 26th, 6 p.m., Calvary Chapel, Salt Lake City, uh, especially girls, you know, ages 11, 12 on up, uh, their parents, their friends, and younger people, boys too, uh, join us for a screening of Girl. We've shown the film to over 500 people uh, on the West Coast, Utah and California, and it's received uh, uh, a five out of five stars on the subject matter. And in fact, why don't we just take a look at a little teaser for you right now. Dear God, Mother says you only answer prayers from obedient and chaste girls. If that's the case, I'm screwed. Right, wrong, what to do? Someday it will come to you. Hostile Indians, we named a summer camp for you. some reason I believe in you and for some reason I think you'll help me so here's my confession we want to extend a heartfelt thanks to Pastor Terry Long and his staff uh, we're so grateful to them opening up uh, Calvary Chapel Salt Lake City to uh, screen this, we think, is very important film for uh, Christian youth, for all youth, but particularly Christian youth today because it speaks uh, to that subject about uh, young girls, their Christianity, their faith, etc. So Saturday night, March 26th, 6 p.m., Calvary Chapel, Salt Lake City. All righty then. Every week at 1 p.m., AM 820, The Truth airs replays of Heart of the Matter. Get in your car and tune in and then join us Sunday, Lord willing. We Every week we hold an hour-long, never-denominational, verse-by-verse Bible study from 2.30 to 3.30 p.m. at the University of Utah. You can go to calvarycampus.com for more information. Now listen, uh, there's been some discussion and opened my eyes to something. Some people might be intimidated by that word Bible and study. You get the idea that you walk into a living room and there's four people there and they're all scholars and, and you know you have to say something or do something and it's not like that at all. Pretty much what it is is, is an hour long of uh, people, 50, 80, 90 people gathering in a, in a college room and I get up there and I teach the Bible. We do some Q&A uh, with people who have questions. There's fellowship, there's refreshments. There's no need to worry. You can show up silent. You can not make any friends if you don't want. Uh, you can leave uh, uh, as you came, but just show up and learn. 
and it's a great opportunity. Consider joining us every Sunday from 2.30 to 3.30 p.m. at the University of Utah. Aletheia Ministries has two book out for your reading consideration. The newest is called If My Kingdom Were of This World, Then My Servants Would Fight. It's controversial and it will challenge you personally to examine your political worldview as a believer. Get it at Lifeway Christian Bookstores, Calvary Chapel Salt Lake Bookstore, Christian Gift and Bible, and of course at HOTM.TV. I Was a Born Again Mormon, our uh, old standby book is also available at those aforementioned stores, uh, and then also at utlm.org and other reputable Christian bookstores in Utah and Idaho. Uh, let's check in with our atheist buddy, Blake, who in one of his 49 questions asks, quote, why is there no evidence of the miracles performed by God, none whatsoever? Uh, it's interesting. Some of Blake's questions make me think, I think it was Thomas Jefferson who said, your ideas uh, make me tremble at the thought that God is just, uh, Blake. But, uh, you know, the more I read your questions, the more I realize that seeing God's truths are a matter of the heart. We see what we want to see, and if we want to see truth, we will. If we want to believe deceptions, they will shine forth before us. And we seem to see, as a people generally, what our heart's desires are. Jesus said, hey, listen, they like darkness more than light, talking about people who never see the truth. And so therefore, you know, pray that their eyes will be opened. So, you know, if your heart likes darkness more, you're going to see things in a way that supports your dark heart. Um, if you want truth at all costs and you're willing to accept and live by those truths, then God will give them to you. So bottom line, there's a reciprocity in the desires of our hearts, in seeing and in believing. To me, God's miracles are everywhere. Uh, they're evident in the function of our solar system, of the galaxy, of pl planets like Betelgeuse that have an actual rotation that are so big you can fit like 100 million of our suns within it. Um, uh, there, it's in the heavens above, it's vast, and it's seemingly limitless and interrelated and interconnected uh, things that are in science on down to the cells, how the cell is a little factory and uh, irreducible factors that come to uh, creation. Um, his miracles shine uh, through in the eyes of a, of, a, of a child, in the smiles, in a teenager that is willing to admit they're wrong. Uh, all of these things are miracles to me. He is the creator of all these things. It's a miracle to me, actually, that uh, God allows you and I to continue to exist, uh, Blake. And he loves us so much that he allows you, the, uh, as we said last week, the, the liberty to ask questions that are somewhat condescending of him. And that in and of itself is a miracle. But, you know, uh, you just have to decide how you want to see the world. Do you really want truth or do you want to continue to go by the darkness of your heart? How about getting some more light from the word? Last week, we read from Matthew 11, where uh, it talked about John the Baptist. Tonight, and in the next few verses, Jesus, still speaking of John the Baptist, makes a comparison between the Baptist and himself. What makes this interesting in the Mormon Christian debate is how Jesus describes himself and his life compared to John the Baptist. Listen, Matthew 11:18. 18. 
For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a devil. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, behold, a man gluttonous and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. But wisdom is justified of her children. What is Jesus, the Lord himself, saying here? He's talking to the Pharisees or to the religious, pious, legalistic rulers and their critical, unbelieving natures. First, he describes John the Baptist by saying, John came neither eating nor drinking, and the Pharisees said of him, he has a devil. So in other words, John the Baptist, living in the desert his whole life and eating grasshoppers and honey only, live, uh, lived abstemiously, okay? Big word. Uh, he was very austere in his relationship to material things. No wine, no usual tasty foods, and he had taken a Nazarite vow, and he lived by that austerely in the demands that it had. Did this please, this lifestyle please the legalistic religious rulers? Not in the least. In fact, Jesus said that they said he has a devil as a result of his living this lifestyle. But then, uh, listen to the way Jesus compares himself and the way he lived to that of John the Baptist in the next verse. Now carefully note how Jesus, God in the flesh, describes how he approached life. Ready? Verse 19. The Son of Man, meaning Jesus himself, came eating and drinking. And they say, behold, a man gluttonous and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. Now, what does this mean when Jesus says that he came eating and drinking? It means he was just like the common Jewish people around him. He ate what a regular Jewish man would eat, and he drank what a normal Jewish man would drink. And what did the Pharisees say about him? They said he is a uh, glutton and a wine-bibber, meaning he drank alcohol and, I can't see it. Oh, he drank alcohol and he ate a lot. Now, these pejorative applications, these slanders against John the Baptist and against Jesus were uh, obviously exaggerations. John the Baptist did not, was not, did not have a demon and Jesus was not a uh, glutton and or a wine-bibber. Uh, but the point is relative to the Mormon mind here. Jesus himself admits to drinking wine, otherwise the title wine-bibber would not have been used against him, okay? Now, the Greek word here for wine-bibber is oinos pino, which is a wine imbiber, and it is one who drinks wine, which John the Baptist was forbidden to drink because of the Nazarite vow. In Matthew 15, 17, Jesus makes it all very clear when he said, Do not ye yet understand that whatsoever entereth in at the mouth goes into the belly and is cast into the draught, but those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. Some try to say, especially in the LDS church, that this wine that Jesus drank was just exactly like our Welch's grape juice. If that were the case, case, it would not have been forbidden for John the Baptist, having taken the Nazarite vow, to drink it. It was alcohol. It had alcohol in it, okay? So it, it's not what goes in the person, and this isn't a petition to say every, people should drink alcohol. It's just saying that Jesus came as the everyday man. And if our Lord, while he was in the flesh, ate like regular men ate and drank like regular men drank, that there, then, and, and it's what comes out of our mouth that defiles us, the LDS should take heed. 
Our ability to stay in the public eye is directly tied to your support of the ministry. We hope you will pr prayerfully consider the following message. We are grateful to you for your uh, support of the ministry in these tough economic times. And so uh, uh, we, we thank you so much. How about some emails, some snail mails, some articles, phone calls, whatever it was. I was getting uh, on a flight the other day in Long Beach, California and uh, to come here. And the BYU women's softball team was on the plane. And uh, prior to boarding, I went and I kind of sat near them and listened to them. And by watching them and listening to them and observing their mannerisms, I would be willing to bet that at least half of them were in violation of BYU's honor code. Uh, I would be willing to bet, even though I'm not supposed to bet, I don't think. But anyway, uh, uh, how come they haven't been discovered and kicked off the team? I just want to know that, especially relative to last week's topic, which generated some uh, discussion. You know, there's so much spin out there from members of the LDS faith about them being Christian. We are Christian. We're Christian. I grabbed a current LDS hymn book the other night and opened it up to this gem of a hymn. The hymn is called, If You Could High to Kolob. Okay? That means if you could fly to a planet that Joseph Smith was call, called Kolob, which is a planet closest to where God dwells. So the song, which is in the present day LDS hymn book, is called, If You Could Hie to Kolob. I'm gonna, we're going to go through this. We're going to show you the verses. See if these philosophies sound Christian to you. You ready? Let's put the first verse up. If you could hie to Kolob in the twinkling of an eye, and then continue onward with the same speed to fly, do you think that you could ever, through all eternity, find out the generation, generations where God's began to be. Okay? So there's the first one, right? Uh, Isaiah 44, 8, God plainly states, Is there a God beside me? Yea, there is no God. He says, I know not any. And yet presently accepted in the LDS hymn book, page 284, it states that if you could get to the planet Kolob at the speed of light, so to speak, and then move onward traveling for an eternity, would there ever be a time you would get to the point where the gods began to be? That's the rhetorical question it asks. The second verse goes on and says, or see the grand beginning 
where space did not extend, or view the last creation where gods and matter end? Methinks the spirit whispers, no man has found pure space, nor seen the outside curtains where nothing has a place. That's an important thing and is difficult to understand when it says where nothing has a place. This last line is important because it asks, can a person ever get to a place where nothingness exists? Unbeknownst to most Mormons, Mormonism is based on an endless and eternal materialism. Theologically, they believe that the concept of nothing is an evil concept, okay? And that the concept of material or matter is the only concept where good can exist. Uh, what they probably also don't know is endless materialism is also a tenet of atheist Marxism, which is uh, the force behind Karl Marx's dialectical materialism. So atheists are primarily materialists. They also believe that the eternity, spirit, matter, anything that has ever existed is just matter. And it has always existed. So the LDS and, and the atheists share in a commonality in this kind of complex uh, area. In the final verse, the author W.W. W. Phelps summarizes Mormon thinking this way. Ready? The works of God continue, and world and lives abound. Improvement and progression are one eternal round. There is no end to matter. There is no end to space. There is no end to spirit. There is no end to race. Now, this is in their hymn book again right now. The last line means or reinforces the Mormon teaching that skin color uh, is the result of matter eternally moving and proving itself with dark races evidencing their failure to progress as well as light races have. That's still in their hymn book today. And they say they're Christian. With that, let's have a prayer. Lord in heaven, we love you and uh, need you in our lives. We pray for our audience, we pray wherever they are. We pray for our volunteers, our staff, supporters, people who are struggling with faith, crises of faith, people who are searching. And uh, pray that I'll be able to uh, facilitate uh, tonight's uh, program the way you would want, Lord. So we put it in your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, we watched the first 20 minutes of an interview with John uh, Dillon, Dillon and from mormonstories.org. Tonight, we're going to pick it back up. We're going to open up the phone lines so our operators can begin clearing your calls while we watch this. 801-973-8820, 801-973-TV20. Now, we left off uh, telling John of my roadside experience last week. And as an active Latter-day Saint, and we left off with me saying, I decided to write a book. So let's take a look and we'll come back and take your calls. Felt peace. I knew that I had been unconditionally received by God because of what his son did for me. And it changed the way I saw and heard and lived from that point forward. Um, but I was LDS. 
And I did not want to go to some evangelical Jesus freak church. So I still was LDS in my heart. I still love the church. I didn't believe it, but I love the church. So I continued to go for four years. And during that time, I wrote a book, and it, I titled it Born Again Mormon. And my wife and I... Uh, what was the intent of the book? The intent of the book was then and still is now to help Latter-day Saints understand the miracle of spiritual rebirth. Their definition of it and what I experienced are wholly different things. And we can talk about that later if, if, if you want, but that's the intent of the book. Was there any, like, here's what Joseph Smith did in the book, yeah. and here's why the church isn't, you know, what it claims to be, truth claims stuff? Yeah, I did some of that. But so you wrote that while a member? Yeah. Thinking that you would publish it and leave the church? Didn't know what I would do with the church. I, I wasn't really sure. But I was working on the book during those four years. Moved to Park City, Utah, and decided that it was time to face the tribunal. And people say, well, why would you go and, and ask the stake presidency and the bishop to be excommunicated when you didn't believe it? I'd been raised in the church. I still wasn't sure if it's right or not. I didn't know what to do. I deserved excommunication. And so I wanted to go through the process that I had been taught is what you do. And so I, my wife and I went before the, the stake high council in Park City, Utah. Together? And, yeah, together. Sat at the end. Wait, was it a joint no, tri trial? No, she's a member. She was there to support you? To support me. Was she a believer at the time? She, believer, yeah. And her life was unraveling mm. right before her eyes as her husband, you know, the, the guy, he's, he's lost it, you know. Um, and we had six men on the one side, pro, kind, and six men on the other side. And we, my wife and I laugh how when it became the, the tough side, uh, the bad cop side, one of those guys pounded his fist on the table. And he stood up and, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Because I had doctrinal questions. Now, you hadn't published your book yet? No, hadn't been published yet. You hadn't done anything that people would call anti-Mormon? No, whatever. nothing. No you one knew just, You just said, I want to have a trial. Yeah. I and deserve it. Have you talked to bishops? Have yeah. You talked to, yeah. So you tried to discuss your concerns with I put it in a letter, and I gave all my doctrinal issues and the things that I uh, believed I was guilty and wrong of. But had you tried to have a, had you had a dialogue with the bishops or state? They, they, okay, okay. No dialogue. Okay. okay. They didn't care. It was kind of probably came out of the blue. Yeah. And you were new to the ward anyway? Or? Fairly new. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Been in there about a year. Um, and what I found in that uh, situation is that while I had doctrinal concerns, those are irrelevant if they know there's sin in your life. And through those 17 years, I definitely earned it, uh, especially in like the last five years of it. Um, so... Uh, once they learn their sin, they don't care if you believe it or not. They've got you on the sin, and boom. So there was no discussion on my doctrinal differences. Uh, and I think that's important for people to understand. So they just excommunicated you? Yeah, excommunicated did you, me. Did you complain? Did you go down no. fighting? No, I asked to be excommunicated. I requested that. They said, well, what if we don't want to? And I said, well, then I'll continue to pursue it to be excommunicated. Because I said, listen, if I want to come back to this church... I want to come back on my own choice, and, and I want it all severed so that I can rechoose it if I if I. Feel and were right. you thinking of yourself as a born-again Christian at this time? Yeah, I, I was a born-again Christian, truly, because this was in 2000, uh, 2001, and my experience was in 97. Yeah. And that's hard for some people to understand. Well, what do you mean you're a born-again Christian, and, and, and then you still have sin in your life? Well, you certainly do. 
And it's not a miraculous change. It's, it's a progressive growing that you do in the Lord and with his word. And uh, he leads you there. But uh, so uh, that thing is, how did you in 97 say you're born again? How come you didn't become this perfect guy? Well, I'm still far from being a perfect guy, you know. That's part of the point of, I think, your message. Yeah. It's not about perfection. No. Um, what was this like for your wife and kids while you were becoming disaffected all the way through your excommunication? Uh, Mary, my wife, uh, she has known me since I was 18, and she knew me to be um, always questioning, seeker type. So she's gone through a lot, and she uh, thought this was another deal of him searching. Because, you know, I went from metaphysics to philosophy to uh, Marx and Engels and Lenin and Trotsky, and I, I embraced communism for a while and thought that was the answer. So she saw me go through all of this and just thought, oh, now here comes the born-again Christian thing. And she wasn't really going to buy into it. And she was kind of set and staying in the church. And so I supported her in that. And I think that's important for people to understand in marriages that if you come out for some reason and you become an atheist or you become a Christian, to love your spouse. You know, I don't know what the motive would be if you're an atheist, because you can't say the non-God tells you to love, but at least for, the, for the, 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 uh, the Christian, the command is love. So love your spouse. And if they stay LDS, you love them, you know? And in our ministry, we see so many families break up because someone comes to be a Christian, and then they, they divorce their spouse. You know, it's, it's uh, unconscionable. It goes counter to what the Gospels are about. So that's an important point. So I say you use love, and you, I drove my kids to the, the church when they saw me falling away. I get excommunicated. I still supported them and everything. Was it traumatic for them, though? It, it was more confusing for them because they, they didn't know really what to believe. They trusted me as their father in terms of information. And at the same time, they liked the culture. So it just took a process for them to kind of be exposed to both and then decide what they want. At one time, they, my, I remember my one daughter tell her friend that she was a Christian, a Mormon Christian, because she really wasn't sure what they were. Uh, but what helped them was I changed. That bastard who came off the mission field and got the callings and, and was just very unhappy, he changed. So as an LDS dad, you weren't a, f a fun guy to be around? No. I, you know, I, I played that role but uh, it just what really wasn't me, you know. And I am a much better father as a Christian uh, or, as a, or as somebody, I don't even need to use the word Christian, as somebody who's been freed from the bondage and yoke of what I believe is institutionalized religion. So I wouldn't even bring Christianity into it. The freedom set me free and allowed me to then be free to love them. It's like a big weight was lifted off Huge your shoulders. Huge weight. Huge, yeah. So how did you go from you being excommunicated to your wife and kids leaving the church? That took uh, four years for my wife. And they all have left uh, intellectually and in their heart in terms of belief. But none of them have had their names removed. Yeah. So they're still on by. And what's interesting is. Are your, your name. You've been excommunicated. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. So uh, they're still on, and they, uh, my one daughter wants to take her name off and whatever you want to do. Okay, but how about to the point of them actually deciding not to go anymore, you know, be active? Uh, it came uh, about processionally, and over a course of four or five years, they lived with me. They saw this wasn't a, f 
uh, a flight of fancy of their dad's going from another ism. And uh, they said, this is kind of real with him. And so that helped them kind of make the change. Yeah. Were you fortunate enough to have your wife and kids at some point have a, a born again experience like you did? Yeah. Did, did they, and, and what, what was the progression or the, the steps that, that led to that, okay. if, if it happened? It's a, it's a really good question because um, starting off, they, they were very afraid of what I was doing and were hesitant to look at anything I was doing. And then in time, my wife, after four years, saw that my change internally and outwardly was permanent, or at least, you know, stronger. And so she had her own experience uh, in praying to the Lord, and it didn't happen radically like me. Hers was in time, she just came to see and her eyes open, and she now sees and speaks and believes like a Christian. But her religious spiritual rebirth was not a really big event. And that's important for people to understand because um, not everybody, the, God does not work with us all in the same way. And, you know, sometimes people say, well, what day and time were you born again? You know, some people don't know that. He works in different ways. And with my wife, Mary, she's such a good person that a, 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 a guy like me, God probably had to give me something really strong, so, but she, he worked with her gently, and in time she really came to see what everything was. Well, when she did, then my other daughters had born spiritual regenerative uh, experiences. My one was radical. She went to Europe to tr backpack with her older sister, and she came back a changed girl, and she works with me in the ministry now. The younger one is still, she's 16, and she's searching. She believes in Jesus, and she believes in the Christian way. But I'm not so sure that she's had the experience yet. Uh, my oldest is the fallout, so to speak, from her father uprooting the family and ripping those roots out from under them. And uh, I, it's very difficult to do that. Fallout in what way? Well, she is, uh, she's not a believer. In she, anything? No. She's uh, much more humanistic. She's a great girl. I love her to death. Um, but she is just, she doesn't fully go this way. And I just believe that that's a matter of time. And she's come along and, and progressed in her belief. She doesn't discount God altogether like she at one time did. But there is a cost, you know. It's not always easy. But if you have faith and you do love, those are the two Christian commandments, in, in my opinion, of the New Testament. You believe and you love. And if you do those two things, as someone coming out of Mormonism or any religion, your family will, I believe, come through. If you transpose any of those with disbelief or anger, then you start getting all messed up. So that's how it happened in our family. Do you think she, your oldest daughter feels like she's a disappointment to you? Do you think she feels disapproval or sadness or... I, I think that it, uh, she watches our program, she sees the people who come, and, and I think sometimes she would feel like um, a little sadness for not gripping it all. But, you know, she certainly does not get that from her mother or from me. Uh, my daughter Mallory can die uh, an atheist, and I'm going to love her with all my heart, and I don't cram religion down her throat or Jesus. I just love her. And, and, and she asked questions, and that's how I believe it should go. What was it like for extended family when you went through your transition? Your, your wife's parents are 
believers? They're, they're believers. Her father passed away. Not real strong, very kind of, they go, very active, but not doctrinally strong. So they were, ups, they were bothered. I shouldn't even say upset. They were bothered a little. But um, I live uh, in my mother-in-law's house with my wife. And she is, um, she's seen me change too. So any uh, problems she's had, she knew me before, and she likes me much better now, so she doesn't have many complaints, you know, even though she's still faithful uh, in, in the LDS church. Uh, my parents, uh, pretty good. My mom's pretty strong in the church. Uh, it's been okay with them. My dad's not really a strong believer, so he doesn't really care. My siblings have been a lot more difficult. My younger brother, uh, very, very strong, and he does not appreciate what I do at all. And so there, that has been uh, probably the most difficult relationship that, uh, that has resulted in my uh, immediate family. You guys still get together and hang out? And it's really tough. Family reunions, it's just a big wedge? Kind of. We just don't go anywhere. Everybody's LDS. Everything revolves around Mormonism. And so there's a loss there. And uh, that's hard. And, but it's uh, worth it, you know. But it's hard. So you're pretty estranged from your siblings? I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm estranged from them, not in the sense I know they love me, and I love them, and if something happened, I call them if they are ill or something, but uh, it's not like it was, not at all. I am now the black, I'm a, the official black sheep, so, uh, but it's okay. So uh, from there, uh, Park City Excommunication, I decided to then publish the book, I left the, in, the uh, brokerage business completely, and uh, this I, is in two thousand two. Two thousand two. Yeah. Okay. And uh, I took jobs being a security guard and working uh, in a parking lot collecting fees. And I wrote the book, finalized all the book, and put it together during that time. We self-published it, twenty five hundred copies. And did, you, did you have savings that you brought from California? How yeah, were you well, living? Yeah, we moved. We okay. moved from Park City. But I mean, just to live, to support your family. Yeah, uh, we had savings. We had funds, and. Uh, I uh, struggled to keep funds in, borrowed money. Uh, we, we struggled uh, a long time. Um, so you weren't like a millionaire from your, tax, no. from your stockbroking days? No. Okay, okay. No, I'm not a million, wasn't a millionaire ever and not one now. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, we, we did the book and then I built a website and uh, I decided to enter into this uh, Calvary Chapel School of Ministry to learn the Bible. That was a two-year full-time program. Is that here in Utah? No, it's in uh, Costa Mesa, California. And uh, so I did that, and the website got about 10 hits every month. And I think that's when you kind of came on to me. So you, you're, you were on to that one. And it was uh, and the interesting thing is that in putting that website out, we had more heat from Christians than we did from Mormons. Mormons thought born-again Mormon, that's cool, you know, that's us, you know. But uh, the Christians really hated that title. Yeah. It, Why? Oh, impossibility. You cannot be Mormon and born again. You know, that's just, or if you're, if you're Mormon uh, and you're born again, you'll leave immediately. Well, my book said, you don't have to. You okay, so your book makes a, makes a case for LDS church members to stay in the church, yeah, yeah. but to be born again. Yeah, and then let God lead them where they need to be and not make some decision based off uh, some information that upset them or personal insult, 
let Jesus take over your life and let him just tell you what to do. And that was the whole premise of the book. And the evangelical oh, community. I mean, so they, give us some examples of what happened. I mean, uh, uh, well, they they went online, and all the major anti-Mormon writers, Ed Decker, uh, all these guys. I don't even know their names. They all came out against Bill McKeever. Sorry, Bill. Uh, you know he's supposed to be my friend now, but they all came out publicly against this ministry that we started. And I was a Christian. I was in you know Bible school in a Calvary Chapel, but they hated that title and they said I was preaching a false gospel. So the vitriol from them was uh, as bad as from the LDS. Um, as I'm, I'm about to graduate, that must have been discouraging. It was very discouraging. Yeah. But I knew uh, I was born again, and I knew I was LDS, so no one, could t no one could tell me, you cannot know Jesus and be a member of the LDS church. In fact, today, I know there are plenty of people who are active, faithful members of the LDS church who are better Christians than I've ever been. And I trust that completely. My, my deal is not about religion. My deal is about people having the relationship over the religion. And I know good, good Christian uh, men and women who are in the LDS church. So our ministry is one of the only ones who said, look it, Mormons can be Christian. And the anti-guys hate that stuff. They make their living off the, off the other side. You know, you're all going to hell. So uh, as ridiculous as that is, uh, we got the heat for it. Um, from there, um, I got a call from a manager of a television station here in Salt Lake City, I was trying to figure out ways to cook the books and eat them because we were so poor and uh, no one wanted the book. And the, the station manager had seen the site a couple years earlier and said, you want to come and be a guest on a show from our station? And uh, Was he Christian? Yeah, it's a Christian station. That's TV 20 in Salt Lake City. So I was on this show, afternoon show, and it was live. And that show had averaged three or four calls every time they would do it. And uh, we held the book up and said, listen, uh, we're going to give away 10 copies, the first 10 copies of Born Again Mormon to anybody who wants it. And by the end of the show, they had 130 requests. And uh, so I went home. This is a local public access this is the local show on Christianity. Yeah. What was it called at the time? Oh, gosh. It was Greg Johnson's program, who's very involved with Jeffrey Holland and, and Bob Millett and all that stuff, that ecumenical type thing. So it was Greg's program. And uh, it just told the manager, he's, he's on to something. So uh, he called me a couple of weeks later. We met up, and he said, you want to do your own show? What year was that? This was uh, 2005. 2005. Yeah, 2005 now. now so, had you started a church, or had you started no, a... I graduated from pastoral school, and uh, I had nothing. I, it was just, I didn't know. I was working down in a parking lot and just sitting on the books, and this opportunity came in for this television thing, you know? So did you go to um, Bible school to become a, a minister? I went to learn the Bible primarily. Uh, but they call you a pastor when you leave there. Uh, which two years? Is, yeah, two years. Is it expensive? Uh, no, it was very cheap. Oh, yeah. Okay. And you learned the Bible pretty well? I learned, I learned it differently than I had. And I, and I appreciated the uh, education. Um, but... Uh, so we, uh, I get the invitation to do our own show, and I say, well, it, you know, it makes perfect sense. Uh, I don't have any money. I live in California. I've never done television before. Well, of course, let's do this show. So we go to a dumpster, and we build a set out of this old wood, and I tell my, the people who are there, I want to make this set look like something that when people go by, they have to stop like it's a bad accident and say, 
what the hell am I looking at right here? So we put up this Howdy Partner sign, and we make the set so hokey. And, uh, you know, it's March of 2006 now, and it's Tuesday night. And they're like, okay, you know, five, four, three, <laughs> two. I'm like, hi. I, you know, I, I, I had like a notes about this big. And I just started talking. We opened up the phone lines, and the first or second or third calls a BYU professor. And he's like, Sean, the Book of Mormon talks more about Jesus. I'm sorry if this is mocking, but that's how he was. Talks more about Jesus quantitatively than the Bible does. Don't you find that to be a bit ironic? And, man, it was game on. We'll continue on with uh, the interview with John DeLynn and mormonstories.org uh, next week. I want you to know a couple things. One, my wife and all my children have had their names removed from the Mormon uh, church. They have abandoned ship. Uh, my wife and all of my daughters, including my daughter Mallory, uh, have uh, received the Lord's call, are full-blown uh, Christians, Delaney, Cassidy, and Mallory. And uh, we praise God for that. So that was uh, shot a, a year or so, a uh, year or more ago. And uh, things have changed, uh, thank the Lord. We have uh, Ray in Syracuse, Utah. He, it says he's LDS. Ray, you're on Heart of the Matter. Well, hello. How are you tonight, Sean? I'm doing well. Thanks for waiting. Well, you're welcome. I have to admit, my um, arm's a little tired. <laughs> and, and I am a little nervous. <laughs> oh, don't be nervous. Well, well thank you. Uh, on that interview you just did, um, you seem so mellow in that interview. It's, it's a good interview. Oh, good. Not, nor my, not my normal self, huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess everyone has their moments of aggressiveness or defensiveness. Yeah. <laughs> I, I hope uh, that, you know, I don't make you um, defensive or aggressive tonight. I, I um... Uh, um uh, well, to the issue, uh, um, your show is painful to me, you know, for two reasons. Um, and I know five reasons that the restored gospel of Jesus Christ didn't fully work for you. Okay. I, I don't know how much of these we can cover tonight. <laughs> well, why don't you just well, lay them out there or say what you want to say. Okay. You know, on a side topic, you know, on the topic... Of the pe uh, people of color inside and outside the church. Oh, and by the way, actually everyone is different shades of brown. There are no white-skinned people except for maybe albinos. <laughs> but are you all familiar with the Genesis group within the church? Yeah, I'm familiar with that recently established group, yes. Well, actually they were organized, I think, in the early 70s. Well, that's recently but, um, Every Every... Um, uh, first Sunday of the month, I go out to um, South Salt Lake and meet with them. Their music is fantastic. Ray, let me tell you something now. You're going to start to hear my aggressiveness, okay? Uh-oh. Okay, uh -oh, listen. I'm sorry. <laughs> you, are, you are calling with an agenda, and what you're doing is you're painting broad brush strokes to make Mormonism look like this, like this open, uh, loving, always there for black people, uh, type of religion, and it's just not true. And the and the I'll let you talk. I'll let you talk in a second. Okay. But the the quote in the song it refers specifically to the LDS teaching 
of a premortal existence and then earthly existences based on merit, and the color of skin is is tied to uh, that merit that you did that you had in the pre-existence, Ray. That's what that line is about in the song. If you could hide to Kolob. There is no argument, there's no Genesis group, there's no you let the blacks have the priesthood now. Bottom line, it's still there, and bottom line, it's still a belief. White and delightsome is still a a reference in your Book of Mormon. So race is predictive of what somebody supposedly did in this mythical pre-existent state within Mormonism. Am I wrong, or, or tell me how? Well, no, no, I see what you're saying, um... You know, to be fair, and a broad stroke again, you know, in, in all of Christianity, you know, especially during the, the slave days, you know, in the 16th, 17th, 1800s. Okay, I'm going to cut you off again, because what you're going to do now is you're going to try to besmirch Christianity as a whole, because there were certain Christian churches who also treated black people wrongly. I want to tell you that we don't care what happened in, in Christianity per se as a whole. We care what the Bible says. And the Bible I agree ne- with you. And the Bible never, and- ever made it a doctrine to treat people of color any differently. Mormonism did. Mormonism did. Okay, go ahead. Well, take a breath first. <laughs> no, I don't need a breath. You need an argument. Uh, uh, okay. okay. Uh, also, the, the Southern Baptists, the Southern Baptist Christians did. That's why they were split from the Northern Baptists. Okay, what's your point? I'm not a Southern Baptist. I read the Bible. What is the point? To bring down Southern Baptists to make Mormonism look okay? No, no, no. I agree with you. I'm saying that there was prejudice. In, in, um, in all forms of Christianity. But, but, but Mormonism taught it as an infallible doctrine. It taught it as revelation. Brigham Young said it would not be rescinded. I mean, we are talking about a completely different thing here. We're not talking about just basic racial segregation that occurred in the South and in other places. We are talking about a religion that said skin color is directly tied to the people's pre-mortal worthiness. We have quotes from Marky Peterson, Bruce R. McConkie, Brigham Young, John Taylor, Spencer W. Kimball. All of them saying, listen, those Africans, those black people, oh, those Negroids and the Chinamen are in the countries that they're in because they were not valiant in a pre-existent state. Do you understand the difference? Well, well, yeah. Okay, so let's go on to the next point. Are you there? I am am here as best as I can be. Okay. So let's go on to the next point. Back in those days, there was a lot of prejudiced people, and I'm glad none of that was ever canonized. You know, both uh, in the Christian- Let me tell you something. Canonized is a loose term. We have your prophets saying that if a prophet says it, it doesn't need to be included in Scripture. It, look at Ezra Taft Benson when he talked about the 10 points of a, of a true prophet. It does not need to be included in Scripture for it to be considered canon. So we would have an argument on whether it was canonized or not. I would suggest that it was fully canonized. Fully, until Spencer W. Kimball received his supposed revelation in 1978 saying that blacks could now have the priesthood. So again, you are, I want to hear something concrete here. If you can't give it concrete here, 
you're spinning and that's what gets me upset because you're using this show as a platform to try to paint Mormonism as okay, why don't you call and say, let me tell you something, Sean, blacks should uh, never have had the priesthood until 1978 because they were inferior, because of how they lived in the pre-existent state. Why don't I ever get those calls? Because that is essentially what most Mormons over 35, 40 years of age believe. We don't get those calls. Instead, I get you calling and trying to whitewash the thing. Well, I, I, look, I'm sorry, Sean. It's okay. Uh, it, it wasn't my intention. You know, this wasn't even a subject. It was just a side note. You know, maybe you could invite some of the Genesis leaders on your program. Why would I do that? Why would I do that when we have the facts? I was in the facts. 40 years I was in there. I hear the prejudice. The prejudice is still in a hymn that you have. The reason, and you're saying this wasn't even a subject as a side note, I pointed this out last week. Latter-day Saint defenders, apologists, they're huge on throwing up subjects and then if it doesn't work, going to a next one. So I pin you down. You brought up blacks, you said race, and you said, I've hurt your feelings, and I want to show you why I stick so strongly on this, Ray. You know, you belong to a church that teaches absolutely the opposite of what the gospel of Jesus Christ taught. Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ teaches, hey, there's no bond or free, slaves, male, black, free, whatever, everybody. The gospel is for everybody. And your church said no. That's why I get so heated when, when you'll call like this. Sean, I'll have lunch, dinner with you, and, and I have um, DVDs put out with these facts that you're talking about. That you can go through hours of facts to see, see both sides of it. How is there a side so, to black people, not, black men, not being able to have the priesthood up until 1978, which meant that black men and their families could not be sealed in the Mormon temple, which meant that black men and their families could not be together for time and all eternity, which meant that black people could not be gods, which meant they couldn't go to the celestial kingdom except as slaves. That's what that all meant. Now, what kind of information are you going to give me that says that I'm going to look at it and say, oh, well, then that makes that all okay? None. Oh, okay, I'll, I'll give you one thing. You okay. know, I did want to talk about the two reasons why your show, you know, um, upsets me. And I did want to talk about the five reasons why the Church of Jesus Christ didn't work for you. There's more than five. But, but let's talk I, about I the two. I will give you one thing, and, and that, is, that is, in the time of Moses... You know, the only people that could hold the priesthood what was the descendants, uh, you know, uh, of, uh, of... So are you, still on are you still on the race topic? Are we still... Yeah, you asked me the question. You wanted, you wanted one thing. So I'm just saying that back in the time of Moses, there was only one lineage that could hold the priesthood. What was it? No, no whites, no blacks, no Jews. No, no, nobody could hold the priesthood. What? What? Only the descendants of Aaron could hold the priesthood back in the time of Moses. Okay, and what were they? They were white and they were Jewish. <laughs> Listen, you're, you're, I know you want to make an yeah. argument for it, but it's not going to work. We did a whole show last year, 2010. Look it up on the archives. We covered the whole priesthood thing, lineage, race. You've got it absolutely convoluted and backward. Go to your two points as to why the show upsets you. Okay, the two points. <laughs> okay, <laughs> take a take a deep breath in. The, the two points why why it set, upsets me um, is because um, your show is a show 
uh, from according to my observations watching it, that focuses on persecuting the restored Church of Jesus Christ, um, which the purpose of the restored Church is to make saints Christians. Okay, so, so um, uh, you know, I, I never thought it would come to Christians persecuting Christians. You know, but you're, you're sh- maybe if you were in Rome, you would be persecuting Romans or the Catholic Church. I don't know. If I was gro- if I ra- if I was raised a Catholic and I understood Catholicism like I do Mormonism, it's highly possible that the show would be about Catholics. Or if I was raised something, if I was raised a a, a, a fanatical of a, from a, a fanatical Baptist sect, it's possible that the show would be about fanaticism and cultic approaches to Christianity. But Ray, I was raised LDS, and I became a Christian by God's grace at the roadside, and so I had a change of heart, and I saw firsthand the differences, and then I learned the differences by understanding the Bible. So you cannot tell me, I'm not persecuting Mormons. I just said on that interview, hey, I believe there are many Mormons who know Jesus and are are very good Christians, but Mormonism needs to be exposed, and people need to understand why. Now, let me tell you something, Ray. I bring out this is our 250th or 250th hour of information. And you're calling and your only thing you have to say to me is, I'm persecuting you. Why don't you give me some facts about where my persecution is? Why don't you say, this is not right, Sean, and I will defend it and you won't be able to prove me wrong. When I share my opinions and when I get mad, yes, I'm wrong. I'm a donkey. But when we talk about Mormon facts, no one calls and said, hey, that's not true or hey, that's not right. All they do is they just lay out these open things. Well, you're just being mean or you're not being right. Let me tell you, what are we supposed to do? Let you walk around and, and, and say you're a Christian and teach things that are absolutely contrary to God's word? I'm not going to do that. I was one of you, Ray. Well, well, no, I, I know my, my brother, you know, um, was w- one of us, left in the 50s, and now that I'm retired, I've spent about five or six years with him, and, and he looks at the church just at the small period of time he was within the church, and a lot of times I couldn't understand where he was getting a lot of these doctrines, a lot of these concepts. UTLM.org. UTLM.org. Okay, give me your second point. We only got one minute left. Second point, Ray, what upsets you about the show? Oh, you don't know, we don't have time to talk about the five reasons why the church didn't work for you? Call back for that one. We'll let you be a second time okay. caller next week. Give us the five, but right now give us the, 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 the second reason. Uh, okay, well, the first reason was... We got that one. Give me the second. What was... Uh, you, you misrepresenting church history. How do I misrepresent? Tell me how. Besides just saying that, tell me how I do it. Next week when you call with the five points, tell me how I rep- misrepresent church history. I want to know specifically. I will apologize. And right then and there, if I have. We'll see, talk to you then. We're out of time. Listen, uh, this week, Alpine uh, Church in Logan, 9 a.m., Riverdale at noon. Salt Lake City Adventure Church at 3 and Sunday. Go to Lakeside Community Church in Sunset, 10 a.m. And hear the preaching and also look for Girl at Calvary Chapel on Saturday the 26th. We'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter. I'm gonna break
break mine Gonna break my rusty cage and run I'm gonna break I'm gonna break mine Gonna break my rusty cage and run I'm gonna break I'm gonna break mine Gonna break my rusty cage Oh, <laughs> 